you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the incredible privilege to come to you, to worship together, to sing our songs of praise. And Lord, we come to you as poor and needy sinners in desperate need of your glorious gospel to shine upon us. You are a great and holy God that exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, altogether holy. You are the source of love. And it is out of your love that you created us in your likeness. Lord, yet in our sin, we have marred that ability to image you the way you deserve. So, Lord, you did the unthinkable. You came in the person of Jesus Christ. You clothed yourself with flesh. You gave your life away in humility and service and reconciled us back unto yourself. You died the death that we deserved. You were buried. But on the third day, you rose again, conquering sin and death and setting prisoners free. Today, may we feel the weight of that glorious gospel. And may we, those that have been here, that have eyes that have opened to see your beauty, I pray that we would exult in who you are, that you are a God that comes to reveal yourself to us. For those that are here that have yet to see your beauty, I pray today that you would allow them to see, you would open their eyes to trust you and to glory in you. I ask that you would take these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and that they would be pleasing in your sight. And I pray today, Lord, that your spirit would fall fresh upon us as we open your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think about desperation? I love survivor stories where an individual is in a do or die situation and the only hope is if somebody else comes to their rescue. Stories of desperation are intriguing because it tests the limits of an individual's resolve or faith. When someone is desperate, they realize they are utterly helpless to save themselves. And spiritually, it's that feeling that we all must come to if we're going to be able to cry out for our Savior. At the close of this chapter, we come to an amazing scene. I invite you to open your Bibles and follow along in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is with the disciples in tow. They are heading up to Jerusalem. And as Jesus continues to teach about the ways of his kingdom, the kingdom he is teaching about, as we've seen the last several weeks now, is very different than the kingdom that they had envisioned. Jesus uses the kingdom concept, what it means to live under that gracious rule of God as loyal subjects of his kingdom. And he contrasts that 
to the ways of our kingdom, the ways that pride rules our hearts. You have to have willing eyes to see it, but if you look at your own life, you'll see the conflict. From boys and girls to old men and old ladies, we have this invisible, innate instinct that rules us, and it wants to rules us. It wants what it wants, when it wants it, regardless of who it hurts, whether ourselves or someone else. Do you see it? Jesus has been revealing it all along these chapters, if you have eyes to see it. It's all along these last few chapters. It's what drives us to want greatness and the position to rule over others. Matthew 18. It's what resists forgiving others when we've been forgiven so much. It's what drives us to to determine that divorce is the only option to irreconcilable differences. It's what rebukes childlike faith and places your agenda over God's. It's what makes us think that we are righteous enough to work our way into eternal life without ever considering the cost. It's what is in us that demands justice, never considering the mercy that we have been shown. It's what's in us that thinks that we are able to sit in a position of glory without ever considering the cost. Do you see it? I ask, do you see it? You'd have to be blind to miss it. Look at these verses again, verse 17 through 19, Matthew chapter 20. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them for the third time, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Amen? The Gospel of Luke after Jesus makes these, this same statement, Luke adds, but they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. It was like they were blind. So catch this. Under the direction of the Spirit of God, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, goes through Jericho and providentially closes this section of teaching of the kingdom with two blind men that see it. Don't you love it? I love it. This is so godlike. Let's read again. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd hushed them, rebuked them, 
telling them to be silent. Shh. But they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and says, gentlemen, what, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to them, Lord, let us open our eyes. And Jesus, in pity, moved with compassion. He touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Don't you love it? I love this story because it illustrates this truth so well. In this passage, we have this providential pathway. We have the seeing blind men, the compassion-filled Savior, and faith-following disciples. The context of this event happened near the famous town of Jericho. Kids, that's the Jericho that we learned about last year at VBS. The same Jericho which Joshua marched around and those walls came falling down. Y'all remember those lessons? I'm looking forward to VBS this year, just in a couple of months. Are you looking forward to it, kids? Good, I am too. But as they're going up to Jerusalem, Jericho is there between the Jordan River and the crowds are going through this area at this time on their way to the Passover celebration. And as Jesus is on his mission to the cross, he knows where he's going. Matthew says it was a great crowd. And that is worth noting because there is something in the heart of Jesus' message that is resonating with the people. Many of the people are hearing these stories and they're wanting to hear more. They're watching these miracles. And what he is saying is connecting with their hearts. It's not like many of us when we start reading the Gospels. There's something that happens when you start reading the Word and God begins to open your eyes to its truth. Do you remember when that happened to you? I remember opening the Word of God and being able to read. I was challenged. I didn't understand it. It was an old distant book, book written by a bunch of dead guys, didn't have a relevance for my life. And then I had a youth pastor that said, Brian, I challenge you. I challenge you to read one chapter a day for the next seven days. Well, hello, I'm gonna lay down a challenge like that, you know, let's, let's go. And I remember picking up, I started in Matthew chapter five, and I was hooked. That's what happens when you read the word of God. It will begin to open your eyes so that you can see his beauty, and I pray that you sense that. This crowd is beginning to sense something's going on. The Pharisees don't like it because they had envisioned a very different-looking Messiah. And then you have these blind men that are along this pathway that leads up to Jerusalem. This is a significant event in that both Mark and Luke record this event. Luke records only one blind man sitting by the roadside begging. And in Mark's account, he names the blind beggar as Bartimaeus. We don't need to get caught up on whether there was two or one. 
The key content about all those passages is the exact same. What we need to see is what these blind men saw. Imagine total darkness. Imagine having to beg for handouts. As you're along the road and all these people are passing by, all of a sudden you hear this commotion. What's all the noise? What's, what's going on here? And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is it's passing by. He's passing by. And this, this is the one that they have heard about. They've heard about the stories. They've heard about the healings. And they are so excited. They know the scriptures. They've been told about the miracles. And in their desperation, they are convinced if they could just get Jesus' attention, then maybe he could heal them. And so they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And as they cry out with their voice, they reveal that they have spiritual eyes. You have to see it. Because the title that they use is significant. The Jews that live during Jesus' time that really love their scriptures, they would remember that God promised David, the first rightful king of Israel, that his throne would be established forever. They would have remembered God speaking through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. They would have remembered the prophet Isaiah that prophesied of the coming Messiah. He said that a child would be born. A son will be given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of host will do this, Isaiah chapter 9. This caused the people to long for David's greater son, the one who would rule forever, the one who the prophet Isaiah said would be a light to the nations that would open the eyes of the blind to bring out those in prison that sit in darkness. When the angel visited Mary, he said, behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Matthew, as he opens up this gospel in Matthew 1.1, he says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David the son of Abraham. 
After Jesus healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute in Matthew chapter 12, it says all the crowds were amazed and they said, this can't be David's son, could it? Yeah. In chapter 15, a Canaanite woman who wanted her, her daughter healed used this title for Jesus. It says in 15:22, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out, "Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed." Jesus was called the son of God during his triumphal entry. The crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed, they were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, they would sing. In the temple in Jerusalem, the people addressed Jesus as David's son. When the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David says the Pharisees became indignant because they knew what he was, they were saying. When you used the title Son of David, you were saying something. You were declaring something significant. You were convinced, based on what you saw or what you heard, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. These blind men had spiritual eyes and they could see him for who he was. And all they want is for Jesus to see them. So let me ask you today, church, do you have spiritual eyes? Do you want Jesus to see you? Or are you still blind to your need? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what the God of this world does. And it's not only unbelievers that Satan blinds. It can also be believers at times. Some of us are still walking in darkness. We've never seen Jesus for who he is. And some of us right now are blinded to see him for who he is because we're struggling with sin. And that which you want to do, you struggle to do. And that which you don't want to do, or you don't want to say, you end up doing. And you're in this habitual struggle of dealing with a sin that so easily entangles us. Let me ask you as tenderly as I can the question that I've been asking myself and some that are close to me. I want to woo you to the beauties of Christ. I don't want to, with folded arms and judgment, to point out your sins. I want you to see Jesus for who he is. 
his heart, his tenderness, looking at us in our struggle, seeing his heart move to you. So let me ask you, does the pattern of your life look like you're in bondage to certain sins? Or are you experiencing freedom and victory, overcoming the sins that once held you back? It's an uncomfortable question. But I can testify, Jesus is able. He is able to meet you wherever you're at. And he will enable you to overcome the sins that once held you back, that you continued to struggle with. If we can maintain our focus upon who he is and what he's come to do, you will see him graciously inviting you to repentance. I know that because I once was blind. And my blindness comes up repeatedly over and over in my life. I hate the struggle, but I feel the pull. We need to see Jesus' loving compassion that moves to us and wants us to cry out to him in those moments. He is able. Thanks be to God who gives us our victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have not experienced a victory, cry out to him. See him for who he is. Another blindfold that can blind you to the power of Jesus in your life is that you can be so consumed with the ways of the world. That's what the God of this world does. He covers your mind with everything of this world but thoughts of Jesus. We are so busy, so consumed with information, we're either enamored with this world by endlessly scrolling through endless feeds or we're disgusted with the world watching 24-hour news channels. Either way, our minds never ponder our own desperate condition. It's like we are blind to what it's doing to our soul. For some, your blindfold is trials and the suffering that you're experiencing. Suffering and trials can derail some and will make you turn away from the very one that can, the only one that can make sense of it all. If you don't have spiritual sight, you will never see or make sense of the afflictions and the trials that you're going through. Unexplained suffering is one of those reasons that people stay blind. They can't reconcile the suffering in this world with their concept of God. They have never understood The cross was God's answer to human suffering. I remember recently sharing with a young man about his own life and talking to him about his own struggles. 
He had recently had a grandmother that passed away, and he couldn't make sense of it. And I had the opportunity, God providentially placed him near me to have an opportunity to have a conversation. And I began to share the gospel with him and to show him the connection that God is not distant in our trials. He's not distant when we go through affliction and suffering. It was actually his compassion that moved him to come to you in the person of Christ. And actually he went through the extreme to show his compassion for you in your suffering by dying on the cross. That was God's solution to our pain and suffering. He stepped into time, he stepped into our world, and he solved it. And he put that stake in the ground. Through Christ now, we know that God is not aloof. He's not distant. He came because he was moved with compassion to be able to see us in our place of need and to be able to show himself strong through the cross. People are blind to that, folks. You, as the people of God, we, as the church, have got the message of hope for a community that is struggling under that bondage. We have the incredible privilege to be able to take off the blindfolds for people and help them to see the reason why they're going through the suffering is not because of God, it's because of us. Christ is not distant. He is not in caring. As a matter of fact, no matter what your struggle, no matter what your defeat has been, you're to realize that God has given us his spirit so that we can endure, so that we can have hope, that we don't have to be able to walk around in discouragement. Paul says, we're not to lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient, that are seen, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul said to the Jews of this day, a few verses prior in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when we, they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains uplifted because it's only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. It is faith in Christ that removes that veil. If you don't want to be blind, you need to learn from these blind men because they have understood that they are in a desperate condition. And you have to understand that you're in a desperate condition. You have to understand that you are in need before you ever cry out for a savior. You know, that's what the law is meant to do. When you understand the law of God, you recognize there ain't no way that I can keep this law. You can't be good enough. So Jesus, he comes and he bodies the law. He fulfills it all. It is only through Christ that we can be righteous, amen? 
Do you see that? You and I need faith to see him. And he wants you to ask him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Did you hear that? Some of my students that I meet with on Wednesday afternoons, as I was prepping them for this passage, they said, hey, Pastor Brian, that reminds me of Hebrews 11.1. 1. I said, yeah, what does the Hebrews 11.1 1 say? And they quoted me, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? The, things of things, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, yes, you got it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He is looking for faith in his followers. He's looking for us to be able to recognize who he is. The Bible says we are saved by faith. The Bible says that we are justified by faith. The Bible says that we have to have faith in order to live. Faith is a big deal to God, and he is wanting us to experience what it means to see him. A great example of this is Moses in chapter 11 of Hebrews. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. How did he do that? For he was looking to the reward. He was looking to what he had coming, right? I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow. (laughs) I love it, Alex. That's a reference to uh, a sermon that Brother Alex preached a few weeks ago. I I know it's in all of our memories. He said, when you know what's coming for you, you know that you don't have to be distressed. You don't have to have anxious thoughts. You know what's ahead of you. You know what comes after, right? So when you get discouraged and you get down and things are, there's no hope, you just, you say, you know what? Glory's coming. Glory is coming. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I can hold on. My faith can stay strong because God wins, right? It says, he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, catch this, as seeing him who is invisible. He had eyes of faith. And that's what you and I need. So you ask, okay, I need eyes of faith. How do I get eyes of faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you don't have eyes of faith, you don't believe that Jesus can carry you through whatever you're going through, you know what you mean to do? Was you need to get underneath the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And the more you hear, the, more, the stronger your faith becomes. And y'all, just getting it here on Sunday morning ain't going to cut it. You got to feed yourself the Word daily. I don't know about you. I have to have it. There was a time in my life I could just pick it up and try to figure out where it was on Sunday, but not no more. 
I need the word of God in my life. I need it to be feeding my faith regularly. You were meant to be able to have daily bread. You were meant to be able to feed upon the very words of God. And so we have to be able to feed upon it. So how do you get faith? Hebrews 12, tell, uh, 2 tells us you look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to me. Beholding Christ removes blindfolds. When you see him for all his glory, no matter what your blindfold is, Christ will penetrate as you gaze upon him, as you listen to his truth. He will begin to impart revelation to your own heart. The scripture says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And this is from the Lord. That's what he's doing in our life. He's not just wanting to be able to, for you to be able to, to have assurance that you're gonna go to heaven. He is in the process of conforming you to the image of his perfect son. So you ask, why so many trials? You know, let up. It's becoming overtasked, you know. He says, I want to be able to purify your faith. I want to look into your life and to see a reflection of, my, of myself. I love you, and I'm committed to that in your life. And sometimes trials and afflictions have a way of humbling us, don't they? Sometimes trials and afflictions make you cry out to God for mercy. And that's where Jesus loves us to be. Look at verse 21. Notice the desperation of these blind men compared to the disregarded attitude of the crowds. Those that were in front of them rebuked them and said, be silent. I love it. They're not going to be silent, but they cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And you know when you're desperate, you don't care what other people think. They're not holding back. They're not going to obey the crowd. They are going to say, I am unashamed. I'm going to declare my need because I know my desperate condition. There is such liberty and freedom when you know that every sin is covered under the righteousness of Christ. You can take off that mask and you can say, brother, help me. Here's what I am. I'm struggling in my life to believe in truth and it's causing me to walk in ways that are against his holiness. And you can say, you know what? I'm not going to walk in shame anymore. I'm going to come out and I'm going to confess that and I'm going to ask brothers or sisters to come alongside me so that we can walk together and we can see him for who he is. You and I were meant for fellowship. You were created for community. Living the Christian life is not a solo sport. It is a community project. And we need one another, strengthening one another with the truth that we are to know. You don't get embarrassed. You proclaim your need. Many of you may be here today. 
In your pride, you're resistant to your need. You don't want to own up to your own dysfunction that you see in your life. You think you're okay. You're not. We're not, are we? We're not okay. We need a Savior. Do you sense your need for a Savior? I do every day. A recognition of our blindness is what Jesus is looking for. He heard their cry as they were saying, don't pass me by. That piece that Glenn played for us during the offertory was written by Fanny Crosby. This is her words. Let me at thy throne of mercy find a sweet relief. Kneeling there in deep contrition, help my unbelief. Trusting only in thy merit would I seek thy face. Heal my wounded, broken spirit. Save me by thy grace. Savior, hear my humble cry. That's, that's the cry of a sinner that is desperate and is not ashamed to sing in that voice in front of you. Aren't you so grateful for a Savior? When Fanny Crosby was asked about the effect of blindness upon her life, she said, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all of my life. And you know what? I thank him for that dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it because I might not have sung the hymns of praise to my God if I had been distracted by all the beauty around me. When I get to heaven, the first face that I shall see will be my Savior. She had spiritual eyes. Remember Psalm 18. Wherever you're at, if you're an unbeliever, I was once there. If you're a believer struggling in sin, no way out, I was there. If you're a believer that doesn't understand the trials and afflictions and the suffering that you're going through and can't see God's purpose in it, I was there. I was once was blind. But I called on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And he saved me from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. But in my distress, I called on the Lord to my God. I cried to him for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry reached his ears. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined, and he heard me, and he drew me up from that pit of destruction, out of that miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my heart, a song in my mouth, a praise to my God, and the more I sing, more people will come to fear and to honor him. That is our responsibility, church. It's for us that have our eyes open to his glory 
to live in that confidence, in that freedom, in that joy, to help others to see it. They said to him, Lord, open our eyes. They ask him, I love this part here. Jesus stops as he hears them crying, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a question that we should be asking of our Savior? What do you want me to do? And here he is. He he wants us to come and ask him. He says, you have not because you ask not. And here Jesus is. He is prompting them, what do you want me to do for you? He's wanting to be able to answer their prayer. He's wanting you to cry out to him in your distress, asking him to save you from what you're going through. He wants to give you hope. Amen? Lord said, or the, the men said, Lord, let us open our eyes. And they said, it says there in th- verse 34, Jesus in pity. I like the translation that says, Jesus moved with compassion. He touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight. This is your Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. And he invites you to come to him. I'm almost through. I've only got another little bit right here. I can almost hear Eric's uh, stomach growling back there. (laughs) Jesus came and he did what he was called to do. You remember on the Sabbath day, he stood up and he read from the, private, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Remember that? That's what he came to do. And here we get a passage where we see him do exactly what he came to do. And he's still recovering sight today, church. Amen? I love how Luke closes out this story. He says, and immediately the blind recovered his sight and he followed him and he glorified God and all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. That is our role, to be able to testify to how he's opened our eyes, to glorify God, to follow him so that others go, what are you following after? And you can say, Come and see as you follow the steps of Jesus. And ultimately, we pray that God, those that are following us, God would open their eyes too. Because I tell you, church, there ain't nothing greater than to be able to share the glorious message of the gospel with somebody that's in darkness and for them to go, I never saw that before. Thank you for sharing this with me. (laughs) The next chapter when the crowds are doing just that. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, oh, guys, if these disciples are quiet, even the very stones and the rocks will cry out. This is the time. When you come to the point 
when you see your desperate condition and you're delivered by your Savior, that's what you want to do. You want to praise. You want to glorify. You want to sing. I once was blind, but now I see. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing that together. Amazing grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you are a loving, tender-hearted Savior that moves to us in pity, moves to us in compassion. You want sinners to see you for who you are. You want them to recognize the sin in which they struggle with, and you want to open their eyes. Today, I pray that your gospel has done its work for some in this very room or those that are listening online. I pray right now that you would open their eyes. For those that are believers in this room that are struggling to see a path out of the situation they're in, no matter what the situation is, cry out to Jesus in this moment and ask him to open the path for you so that you can follow follow him. Lord, we thank you for the amazing grace that we have. And we praise you for your holy word this day. May you hear us as we sing and testify of our love to you. In Jesus' name.